week number five on this study of prayer. I want to look at last week's text for one brief moment. Chilling verse, Daniel chapter 10. You remember from last week the wording of this in the book of Daniel. The angel of high rank sent from God said to Daniel, Since the first day, 21 days ago, when you began to pray to God for understanding concerning the great war that was to come against Persia and against the Israelites exiled in this land, from the first day you opened your mouth and came to God in prayer, I was sent to you. But the demon angel sent by Satan to influence the affairs of the Persian Empire, he resisted me, and I have fought against him for 21 days. And now Michael, the great archangel, has come to help me. And now I've come to you, Daniel, and I will explain to you what will occur with regards to the war and Persia and all other affairs that influence Persia and the exiles in the land. And for the next several chapters, you have the story unleashed by the angel pertaining to the history of the Israelites at that time and in that place. Let me ask you this question as we begin the fifth week of study on prayer. What happens to a nation if there is no defense against what the Bible describes as the demon angels sent from Satan, what if there is no defense? You had Daniel and you had many others, but Daniel was a primary one. He had two defenses as he was exiled in the land of Persia. And from the moment he was brought there until this moment... There were two influences in Daniel's life. They were the two defense systems that God had given. Daniel had God's Word. And from the moment he was brought into the king's courts and ordered to eat certain food that he would not eat, from that moment to this moment, the Word of God is what he read and devoured and ingested and lived out in his life every single day. It was the great defense system for him. And since he was a representative of God, that which came into him was delivered to the people. This demon angel comes against Persia and the Israelites, and Daniel stands there as the great defense. He has God's Word. And not only did he have God's Word, which is God's communication to us, he had a means whereby he could communicate to God. You and I have the same means. And that means Daniel used every day to communicate with God. It is called prayer. It's what got him in trouble. It's what got him thrown into the lion's den praying to God morning, afternoon, and evening, regardless of the king's edict. Here you have Daniel, and he stands for the word of God, and he stands for prayer. And that is the defense against Satan's angels. Tell me this. 
What happens if Daniel does not exist in the land? What if there is no Nehemiah? What if there is no Jeremiah? What if there is no Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob? What if there is no defense? When you come to the fifth week of this study, you will bump into the land of Israel, and there is no defense. And if there's no Word of God, if it's hibernated, if it's been removed, if it's been shoved up into the attic, and no one's reading that Word, and no one's praying to Him, that is what you'll bump into this week, Ezekiel 22. Let me read to you briefly what happens when the demon angels are let loose, and there is no defense. Ezekiel said, God, you have become a land where there is no rain, showering down God's blessings. There is a conspiracy of the kings and the princes with regards to the people they are to serve. Instead of serving them, they are devouring them like a lion tears apart its prey. They take the treasures and the money that belongs to the people, and they make many widows within the land. Not only do the kings and the princes defy me, but the priests in the land. They do violence to my law. They profane my holy things. They have closed their eyes to what is holy and good, and they teach the people there is no difference between the clean and the unclean, and they have shut their eyes to the worship of God. The officials in the church and the officials in the government, they shed blood and they kill people in order to take their property. The prophets watch watch all of this, and since they are under the control of the kings and princes, They speak false words pertaining to what God's Word says. And since the people of the land have no leadership in the government or in the church, they do the same thing the leaders do. They practice extortion. They commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy. They mistreat the alien in the land. And there is no justice I looked for one man, like Daniel or Nehemiah, I looked for one man to stand on my behalf. And as I looked across the entire land, I could find nobody who would stand for me. So I have turned my back upon my people. Their sin has separated thee from me. And I must leave them for a time. That is week number five. That is looking at a nation or a family or an individual or the place where you work. If God's word has been tossed out, if prayer no longer exists, there is no defense. There was an established line of defense that God had set up in the nation of Israel. And even when the nation of Israel, Joshua 18, was divided into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, 
There were still the lines of defense that God had established. The first line of defense was the king. And after the king, there were the princes. And after the princes, there were the prophets. And after the prophets, there were the priests. And all four lines of defense were set by God for one purpose. To bring forth His Word amongst the people. To lead them in the act of worship and prayer. And to provide for the well-being of the people of Judah and Israel. The king was the great line of defense. He had more power than all of the others put together. He ruled over the prophets and the priests because he chose them. He ruled over the princes because he chose them. The king was to protect the people in the military realm. Protect them from the enemy, the Philistines and the Babylonians and the Egyptians. He was to protect them in the domestic realm. There were to be no poor in the land because the people were to care for each other. Food, shelter, and clothing. Those were the necessities the king was to deliver to the people. And they were to share the food, clothing, and shelter with those who were poor and needy. The king had a third realm of protection assigned by God. And that was the most important realm. It was the spiritual realm. He was to protect them and lead them and teach them through his own actions and through the prophets and the priests that he was appointing. He was to lead them in the spiritual realm. They were not an ordinary people. They were a chosen people. Peter describes it. He says of the Israelites, Once you were a common people, but after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you were not a common people anymore. You were set apart by God. You were a chosen nation, a special people, a holy group assembled by God to live for Him, to praise Him, and to live with others, showing forth God's presence. And here is the king. And here he's told by God, these are not an ordinary people. They have my spirit upon them. Yours is just not a secular duty. Yours is a spiritual duty. The kings were to protect the people. The kings of Israel and Judah, they reigned for 430 years. There were approximately 20 kings in the northern kingdom, and there were approximately 20 kings in the southern kingdom. And of the 40 kings that reigned for over 400 years, there were only seven of them. Seven kings in 420 years that actually worshipped and served God. Who were they? David and Solomon were clearly the most devoted to God in their better days. And then you had Abijah, and then you had Jehoshaphat. It says, Bible, that he worshipped God, and he made sure that the princes, the prophets, the priests, and the people, he made sure they worshipped God. And then you had Jotham, The Bible says of him, whatever he did, 
He tried to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Not in the eyes of the powerful people or the rich people in the land. He tried to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then you have Hezekiah. It says he humbled himself before God and gave himself and the kingdom to God. And then you had the boy king, Josiah, eight years of age, says of him that he walked in the ways of David, and David walked in the ways of God. Seven kings out of 40 who did what God asked them to do, to protect and to nourish the people. Seven righteous kings, what made a king righteous? The righteous kings were strong in battle. Militarily, they were strong. They protected the people. But every time they fought a battle and every time they won a battle, the praise did not go to themselves. And the praise did not go to the army captains like Joab. The praise went to God every single time. You have 66 battles that David fought. They're recorded in the Bible. 66 times he won the battle, and every time he won the battle, he said, God was my armor and my protection. He always pointed the people to God, never to himself. The unrighteous kings, they lived for themselves. And everything they had in the realm of military or wealth, it was always about them. And the righteous kings is always about God. They not only had military strength, they had significant wealth, the godly kings. But unlike the ungodly kings, their wealth came through activities pleasing to God. The unrighteous kings would kill people in order to take their property. Oops, accident happened. Their houses, their land is mine. But the godly kings, their wealth came from God. God established trade routes for the righteous kings so that their wealth came because God's activity pertaining to trade and commerce, and they understood it well. They knew it came from God. The righteous kings above all else. They followed God morning, afternoon, and evening. That is who they spoke of. They honored his word. David and Solomon and Abijah and Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah and the boy king. They had the scriptures. They read about the opening of the waters of the Red Sea, and those seven kings would say to their people, if God did it for them, he can do it for us. They honored God by putting his word above all else. They were also men of great prayer, and they commanded their princes, their prophets, and their priests to lead the people in prayer. They held up the worship of God in the temple. They honored the temple. There are no desecration taking place. The unrighteous kings, they allowed other tribes to come in.
to put their idols in various sections of the temple. They defiled it. But now the righteous kings, the sanctuary of God was the temple. And that which the people received in the temple is that which they brought forth in their daily lives. And the third thing the godly kings did was they celebrated the holy days. You say, big deal. They celebrated the holy days. There were seven holy days, Leviticus 23, major and minor festivals. And the festivals were the festival of the Passover, where the people were set free from Egypt. Red Sea opens up. And the festivals were the Feast of Purim, and the Feast of the Tabernacles, and the Feast of the Harvest. Seven different festivals, and every festival was set aside each year to give honor to God. Every one of the festivals dealt with some aspect of God evolving Himself in the life of the people of Israel. So seven times a year, you looked at different stories pertaining to God, and you would say to your children, here is what God did back then, and here is what God is doing for us now, and here is what He's going to do in the future. You and I celebrate holidays. We have Lincoln's birthday and we have Washington and Martin Luther King. We have Columbus Day. And each of these days honors an individual. Except Memorial Day and Labor Day and Fourth of July. They honor the concept of what God has brought to this land. For us, we honor individuals for those in Israel The holy days, they didn't honor Moses. They didn't honor Esther, Feast of Purim. They honored God. And these seven righteous kings, the most sacred days in the year to them, were those days where they celebrated the high festivals of what God had done. The unrighteous kings, what did they celebrate? This was the day I got the victory over Assyria in that little campaign to the northeast. This is the day I accumulated $100 million by this, this, and this. The unrighteous kings, they celebrated themselves. The holy kings, all about God. You and I, what do we celebrate on this earth? Is it your wisdom that has gotten you where you are? Is it your connections that have gotten you where you are? Is it your power that has gotten you where you are? Jeremiah understood it well. Jeremiah said, Do not let the wise man boast in his wisdom, the strong man in his strength, or the wealthy man in his wealth. Let him who boasts about anything they have on this earth Let them boast in God. He has given me these things. Evil has a domino effect. The king worshipped himself. The princes followed him. The prophets and the priests followed him. Evil has a domino effect. 
It does in countries, it does in families, it does in the places where you work, it does in your individual life. Evil has a domino effect. But godliness has a domino effect as well. Godliness has a domino effect. Whenever I baptize an infant, the vow was spoken pertaining to that child, that baby. And the parent vows that they will set a Christian example for that child in thought, word, and deed. And the parent vows that they will pray with and for that child every single day. And the parent vows that they will provide for the further instruction of that child's life, the spiritual instruction. The parent makes that vow, and the parent is saying before God's altar with the precious child in their hand, I understand the most important thing I'll ever do is to bring this child into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ through the help of the Holy Spirit. This question, did David and Solomon and Abijah and Jehoshaphat, did they serve Jehovah? Yes. Did each of them fall into sin? Yes. Did each of them repent and come back to God? Yes. Did God bless them and their nation? Yes. Did He allow them to continue to do their ministry? Yes. Do you and I... Do you and I serve God? Yes. Do you and I fall into sin? Yes. Do we do it in the presence of our children? Yes. Do we ask God to forgive us? Yes. Does He do it? Yes. And does He allow us our positions once again? As parents, or at our place of work, or whatever leadership role you might have, does He allow us to continue to serve Him? And the answer is yes. These dear children in our school, they hear about God every single day. I pray they witness acts of kindness directed to each other. But the most important model the children will ever have are the grandmas and the grandpas and the moms and the dads into whose care God has placed them. Closing words. The book. The book. There are a hundred episodes in here of demon angels at various times in our nation's history coming against us. hundred different stories, page and a half, two pages long. And a hundred different times the angel of God was beckoned to come into the lives of the individuals mentioned in this book. You'll not see the prayers of Ezekiel, Nehemiah, or Daniel in here. You'll see the prayers of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Samuel Adams and John Jay, the first justice of the Supreme Court. You will see their prayers and you will see their deliverances a hundred different times in this book. And I've been saying for the last two or three months that if you're a bit discouraged as to how things are in the country right now, 
And if you're wondering, uh, what is God thinking? What is He doing? That's why this book became so important to me, and I brought it to you guys. Because there is great hope when you read the stories, not of what Lincoln or Washington have done, but what they did through reaching up to God in His Word and in their prayers. I want to share one episode and then I'm done. The episode is from the life of Abraham Lincoln. A general came up to him right after Gettysburg and he said to Lincoln, Were you terrified the day before Gettysburg's battle? And Lincoln said this, He said, General, I had no fears of Gettysburg. And if you want to know why, I will tell you. In the very pinch of the campaign at Gettysburg, I went to my room alone one day and I got down on my knees and I prayed Almighty God for victory at Gettysburg. I told God that this was His country and the war was His war. And then and there I made a solemn vow with my Maker that if He would stand by the soldiers at Gettysburg, I would stand by Him forever. And after wrestling with the Almighty in prayer, I don't know how it was, it's not for me to explain, but somehow or other a sweet comfort crept into my soul that God Almighty had taken the whole business into His own hands. And we were bound to win at Gettysburg. And Almighty God did stand by the soldiers, and now I will stand by Him. No, General, I had no fears of Gettysburg, and that is why. A hundred stories. We've got a few books left. We'll order more if you want them. I'd like this book into everyone's hands. I close with one verse, Second Chronicles 7.14. God said to the Israelites, If my people come back to me, if they seek my face, and this is where his face is found, if my people come back to me, if they seek my face, and if they come to me in prayer, I will hear their voices and I will heal the land. I will hear their voices and I will heal the land. And whether it's a country or whether it's your family or whether it's you as an individual battling the demon angels, if they seek my face, if they come to me in prayer, I will hear them. And I will heal them in our Savior's powerful name. Amen. Lord, bless the utterances that are found in your word. The promises that are there, the commands that are there. And as your people read your word and as they reflect upon your promises, may this strength and this healing return to all in need of such blessing. In our Lord's name, amen. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.